Good morning. Blessing to be together this Lord's Day to be able to worship our God. We are so thankful for the life and the breath that He gives us each and every day. And we are certainly by His grace and by His providence, we have been able to gather together this Lord's Day to worship God. And we invite you to be taking out your Bibles. We're going to be studying along with them with, from the Scriptures in just a few moments. But I want to begin this morning by causing us to reflect. I'm sure we have all probably wondered what our life might be like if certain circumstances did or did not happen at some point. Maybe it's that you've pondered what life might have been like if you never met your spouse, or if you never moved to a certain location and you never lived in a certain place. What life might have been? What life could have been? You probably all wondered that, and especially if you've been a parent, you've probably wondered, what would life be like if I didn't have these kids? Um, they don't need a confession or anything like that, but you probably had that cross through your mind at some point in your life. And what is amazing is that this is not something that is peculiar to any one of us. This is something that even the Bible speaks about. Biblical authors such as David pondered the question, what if? In Psalm 124 and in verses 1-3, through three, he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. He ponders the question, what if God had not been fighting for us? What would have the results been in battle? In the text that we had in our reading this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul does this with the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't he? In verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Just pondering this question of what if? What if circumstances were different? What if life was different for many of us? In one of my favorite movies of all time, it's not just a holiday movie in my opinion, it is a movie that you should watch at any point in the year, is It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, I love it. Now, I'll tell you this, if you watch it on TV, you probably hate it because the commercials absolutely ruin that movie. It's not to be watched with, with commercials. But that's the whole plot point of the end of that movie is that Jimmy Stewart, in his, um, as he is a good citizen, he's a good neighbor, he's a good person, and he has these big dreams, but his life never shaped out the way that he wanted it to be. And things always seem to prevent him from getting what he dreamed of. And eventually, after some financial struggles hit him, by the last act of the movie, he's left wondering, things would just be better off if I were dead. And you'll probably, if you, are, if you watch the movie, then you probably know that his guardian angel shows him what life would have been like if he had never been born. 
That's something that is seems to be just part of our natural existence here on life. We are left to ponder what life might have been like if things did not happen the way that they have happened. And this morning, I want us to think for a little bit, taking some of those ideas of asking, what if? I want to ask the question, what if Jesus had never been born? What would life be like if Jesus had never been born? I think we can see from the Scriptures some of the results in the catastrophic results, such as when Paul pondered the question, if Christ had never raised, what that would have been like. You are dead in your sins still. I think we can see some of the results that if Jesus had never been born, they would be catastrophic and they would be life-changing for us as well. And so the first thing I would like to suggest to us this morning is that we would not be able to know God if Jesus had never come to this world. Turn with me to the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. In John, the first chapter, and in John chapter 1 and in verse verses 1 through 3, he opens this, this book by asserting who Jesus is, that He is God, that He is the Word that is in existence from the beginning. He says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so he says that the Word, talking about Jesus, we'll see that in a few moments, but that He existed before the world existed. He existed in the beginning, before time existed. He existed with God. He was not only with God, He was God, he says. And that He created the world and all things that had come into existence have come into existence because of Him, because of His power. And he goes on in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus became flesh, that He became the Word existed in a way that He had not previously existed. He became flesh, He became a man. In the book of Philippians, Paul expounds on this idea in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, he speaks about Christ who, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." that Jesus became flesh. He became a man and existed in the form of a man. And He dwelt among us, John says in John 1.14. The idea of dwelling among us and also the idea of tabernacling. That Jesus tabernacled. He put His presence here. If you think about the Old Testament, we've been studying in the, our Wednesday night Bible study in the adult adult auditorium class about the book of Exodus and the tabernacle, that it was the symbol of the place and the presence of God among Israel. 
That is what Jesus did. He tabernacled here. His presence brought the presence and the glory of God to this place, to this earth. So that people could know Him. And through Jesus' incarnation, He revealed the true nature of God. Notice in verse 18 of John chapter 1. John says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, that is Christ, has explained Him. Christ has explained the Father. He has revealed God to us. Because Jesus is the perfect image of God. If you will, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Hebrew writer, as he is opening his letter, in Hebrews chapter 1 and in verse 3, as he is speaking about Christ and how God has spoken to us through Christ, he speaks about who Jesus is and His person and His identity. And he describes Jesus as He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made a purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That Jesus, He is the radiance of God's glory. If you want to come to know God, you have to know Jesus. That's what He's trying to get us to see. Because Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And through Jesus, we come to know who the Father is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians the 4th chapter, uh, Paul here, he says and makes a statement in verse 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What a beautiful description there. That in Christ's face is the glory of God. We come to know who God is. We come to know about God's power. And we come to know about His grace. We come to know about His love. We see that. The Gospel of John, in John the 10th chapter, and in verse 30, Jesus makes the statement that I and the Father are one. Not a singular one in that they are the same person, but they are unified in purpose. That is, as when you see the Son, you see the Father, and vice versa. That they share in the same characteristics, they share the same nature. And Jesus is making a claim to deity in that passage. And so when we see Jesus, when we read about Him, when we learn from Him, He is showing us God the Father. In John chapter 1, in the passage that we've been looking at, in John chapter 1, notice with me, beginning in verse 14, to set up the context here, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him. 
and cried out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before Me. For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. That Jesus has revealed God. He has shown us God's grace. He has shown us God's love for the world. That through Jesus we come to know God. And if Jesus had not become flesh, then we would not know God in this way. We would not see the fullness of who God is. It's because of Christ and His work and His coming to this earth and His teaching and through His ministry and through the healing and the miracles that He performed. We learn about who God is and what God desires. We come to see the awesome power of God. When we learn about His grace, we learn about His truth. And how we can follow Him and serve Him. When we know grace and when we know truth, we come to know God. But if Jesus had never been born, then when we would know God's grace, we would not know God's truth, and we would not know God. What a tragedy. Then secondly, I think we can... See that if Jesus had never been born, then we would not have a faithful priest. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 17, the Hebrew writer remarks, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. As, as earlier in the verse, in verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus took part of flesh and blood, and He was made like unto His brethren in all things so that He could come and provide help and aid and strength to humanity. And because of His death, which is the point that the Hebrew writer is making, that He renders powerless death because of His resurrection. Later on in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7, in Hebrews chapter 7 and in verse 24, as he's talking about the high priesthood of Jesus and how he holds this priesthood, as it is a priesthood that never ends, he says in verse 24, but Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. How does Jesus always live? Have you ever pondered that question? Because He was raised to die no more. 
raised from the dead to defeat death totally and completely and He ever lives. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection by virtue of that, He has rendered death powerless and He lives forevermore. He has a permanent priesthood. He has a life without end. And He also, by His death, He has made propitiation for our sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, and in verses 5-7, through the Hebrew writer has been looking back and thinking about the old covenant, the old law of Moses and the animal sacrifices and how they were not able to remove the stain and the guilt of sin. And he reflects on Jesus and His sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 5, Therefore, when He comes into the world, He sacrificed an offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of Me to do Your will, O God. These are essentially the words of the Messiah, the words of Christ. That Jesus understood that He came for a mission. He came to this earth for a purpose. That is, to do the will of God and to not just offer an animal sacrifice, but to offer His perfect, sinless life. In verse 10, the Hebrew writer concludes, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That We don't have to do the math on this. We don't have to try to figure out how one life was able to satisfy God's requirement of sin for all people. We don't have to figure out that math. I can't do that math equation. We can't punch that into a calculator to make that work and compute. It is that by God's grace that He saw His perfect Son who died on the cross and shed His blood, that He said, I'm satisfied. And that you must believe in Jesus and His sacrifice to be saved. That God was satisfied with one death, a perfect life, who gave Himself willingly for us. As the Hebrew writer says in verse 14 of chapter 10, for by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Praise be to God that He was satisfied with the death of His Son, Jesus, to redeem us and to save us. But we also see that Jesus aids us in our temptation. And not only has He rendered death powerless, He has made propitiation for our sin, and He has been able to come to our aid and help us and strengthen us when we are tempted, when we are suffering. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 18, whenever he's talking about the high priesthood of Christ, he says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Just a couple of chapters later in chapter 4. In chapter 4 and in verse 14 and 15, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That when we are tempted, Jesus is someone that we can rely on. He is our friend because He knows what it is like to have been tempted. And He overcame temptation. He did not give in to temptation. He can become our example to show us the way out of temptation. He can give us aid. He can give us help. He can give us strength because He has been there. He understands what it is like. And so if it were not for Jesus' incarnation, if it were not for Him coming into this world and being born, then we would be left powerless. We would be left defeated. Death would hold us powerless. We would be defeated. Death would win. If, if it were not for Jesus, then we would have no perfect sacrifice. He would still be in our sin, and sin would win. And we'd have no strength to overcome temptation. We'd have no example to look to. Temptation wins. If it were not for Jesus, what that all boils down to is that the devil wins. What a devastation if that had been true. A third consideration this morning is that if Jesus had never been born, then we would not be adopted God. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians in the fourth chapter this morning. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul has been writing about the Old Covenant, the Old Law, and the purposes of it. And he says in verse 1, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Under the law, we were held under bondage, is what he's saying. But, he says in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. Jesus came into the world at the appropriate time when God desired it. And the statement there in verse 4 that Jesus was born of a woman, I don't think that necessarily is a reference to the virgin birth. Because everyone who has ever lived has been born of a woman. Job, in the book of Job, he reflects on that and he makes a very similar statement in the book of Job. 
And in chapter 25, and in verse 4, he says there, on that occasion, how then can a man be just with God, or how can he be clean who is born of a woman? Or in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, as he's talking about John the baptizer, he says in Matthew chapter 11, and in verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Paul, I think he's just talking about that Jesus, he is, he came in full humanity. He came and experienced the normal life that every one of us has lived, with the exception that he was without sin. And by that, Jesus is the exception that proves the rule. His exceptional sinless life demonstrates the dominion and the power of sin that has held everyone else captive. And you think about it, if Jesus had never been born, then He could have never gone to the cross. Earlier in Galatians in chapter 2 and in verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. In chapter 3, he talks about how Jesus went to the cross and took on the curse of the law on a tree. Jesus has redeemed those who are under the law so that we all might receive the adoption as sons. He brought redemption over sin and death. He brought new life for us. And if we would believe in Christ, He makes this point in chapter 3 at the end of chapter 3, that if we would believe in Christ, if we would be in Christ, He says... And if we're baptized into Christ, he says in verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That you become a child of God through adoption when you are baptized, immersed in water in Christ. And you are freed from the guilt and the condemnation of sin and death. Christ came so that you could have a relationship with God. That you would be able to cry out in prayer, revealing your complete dependency upon God. As a young child might cry out for his father, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Showing our complete desire and dependency for our existence from our Father in heaven. That has only been made available because of Jesus and His coming into this world. And if Jesus had never been born, then we would have no saving King. The opening pages of the Gospel of Luke 
reveal the plan of God in bringing Jesus into this world. And Jesus had been the highly anticipated King and Messiah who would come in accordance to fulfill all of God's promises. And the angel Gabriel appeared before Mary in Luke chapter 1. And in verse 31, said to her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Jesus was the promised king who would come to rule over God's kingdom. He would take the throne of David in fulfillment of God's promises to David that one of his descendants would rule on his throne. In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 1, as the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, talking about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to rule as king over the kingdom of God. But He did not come to rule over an earthly kingdom. He did not come to overthrow the Roman Empire or any world empire. He came to defeat something much more dangerous, much more powerful than any earthly ruler or earthly system of government. He came to overthrow and conquer sin. He came to give liberty and freedom to the people who were held captive and bound by sin. He came to save people from their sins. And because of Jesus' life and because of death, and after He was raised and ascended into heaven, God exalted Him and gave Him the throne of David. In the book of Acts, in that first Gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, verses 33 and 36, notice what Peter says on that occasion. He says, talking about Jesus and how He had been raised, in verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear, that He has been exalted and place at the right hand of God. In verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. That He has been named the Lord and Christ. The idea of being called Lord, that He is the King. He is the ruler over His kingdom. In the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, we looked at verses 6 through 8 where it talks about how Jesus took on the form of a, a servant, was made in the appearance of a man. But notice what he says after that, after he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 9, notice what Paul says. 
For this reason also, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus has been placed in this position of great power, of great authority, and that we need to recognize Him. We need to recognize Him voluntarily right now, today, before it's eternally too late. We need to be willing to make the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because He tells us that every knee will bow. If we don't humbly come and recognize and confess Jesus now in this life, we certainly will on the day of judgment when it's too late. Because we're all going to know that Jesus is King. We're all going to see His great power and His great authority. Because Jesus is going to be the judge of each and every one of us. Paul would say in Acts chapter 17 and in verse 31, talking about how God has commanded everyone to repent because there is a day that has been fixed, he says, in which He will judge the world for righteousness for man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. Because Jesus is going to be the one who who judges us at the last day. In the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 13, in Matthew chapter 13, and in verses 41 through 43, in the explanation of the parable of the tares, it says, The Son of Man will send forth His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom also and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. When Jesus returns, there are only going to be two types of people in this world. There are going to be the lawless, those who have been disobedient, there's going to be the righteous. Those who have placed their faith and their trust in God. Jesus also describes that great day of judgment in Matthew chapter 25. On occasion, He's described as the King who is sitting on His throne and all the nations appear before Him. All people. And he separates the goats from the sheep. And he says at the very end of that chapter, talking about the goats, those who are on his left, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is going to judge the world, but there are only going to be two types of people when Jesus comes.
It's not going to be about American or Russian or Chinese or based on race or social economic status. It's going to be about are you righteous? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you been obedient to Him? Have you had your sins washed away in baptism? Or have you refused to recognize Him as Lord? Have you been disobedient? Have you not been serving Christ? Have you not given Him your heart and your life? But you think about this. If Jesus had never been born, then we would have no king to even save us, to give us eternal life. If Jesus had never been born, then there would only be one class of people. Lawless. And we would all be doomed to eternal punishment in hell. There would be no offer of salvation in eternal life. Praise be to God that Jesus was born. If Jesus had never been born, we would all be doomed without any hope or any offering of true forgiveness of our sins. We would still be in our sins. We would stand condemned. But thankfully, Jesus did come to this world. And He was born. And because of that, we can know the grace and the love of God. We can know the extent of God's love for us. And we can see that God's desire has always been to save us. To bring forgiveness. In John, the third chapter, and in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because God loved us, He sent His Son to this world. To die. We have a king who has saved us from the wages of sin and death. Through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. And we can come to know our Father in heaven. Through Jesus, we can experience His grace and His truth. This morning, aren't you thankful that Jesus was born? Aren't you thankful that He lived His life in service to His Father? And that He went to the cross and died for you? Don't let His death be in vain. If you believe Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, come this morning confessing that faith you have in who Jesus is, 
have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism and become a child of God. Become a Christian. And be added to the Lord's church this very day. Don't put it off. Come to the Lord. This morning, if you have made those steps to become a child of God, you have been baptized, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord. The Lord is full of grace and mercy and He wants you to come back to Him. Christ invites you to come back. Come, invite, or come and confess your sins. We are here to pray with you and pray for you, to help you and encourage you in whatever way we possibly can. You are subject to the Lord's invitation this morning. Come as we stand and as we sing.